Today's podcast is sponsored by our amazing friends over at Adorama. Adorama is one of the best electronic retailers specializing in photo and video equipment. They also have a rad blog and video series highlighting content creators called Through the Lens, which you can find on their YouTube channel. We've partnered with Adorama to offer free education through the AOV Academy. So head over to aovacademy.com for free online courses in photo and video. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. My name is Prince, and I am your host, and today's guest is full-time travel photographer and editor-in-chief of Resource Travel, Mr. Michael Bonacore. Welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Prince. Good to see you, buddy. Dude, it's good to see you, too. Good to see you, man. And this is, this is cool for you because you don't have to do the Skype. You don't have to do any of that stuff. I am here in-house with you in Boise, Idaho, because we are neighbors. I know. Dude, I'm stoked. I'll and, I'm, and I'm excited because I have both mics hooked up. Last time, uh, I had my buddy Tanner from Proof come into town. And I shouldn't say come into town because he lives here he as lives well. Here, but yeah. <laughs> he came in to do the podcast, and he like didn't tell me that he was actually going to show up in person. So I thought we were going to do it Skype because he never replied, and then he showed up and I didn't have a second mic ready to go. And so we just like shared a mic. And uh, so what you're saying is I communicate better than Tanner from proof. <laughs> I wear, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. You heard it here first, Tanner. I still love Tanner. That's my boy. <laughs> cool, man. So let's start off with, uh, you telling the AOV audience a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So, um, I am a full-time travel photographer based here in beautiful Idaho, been in photography, I would say probably about 12 years was 2007 was the first time I ever picked up a camera. I sucked really, really, really badly. I sucked for a lot of years. Probably I would say I got semi-decent by my standards, I would say in probably 2013, 2014. And, um, yeah, still, you know, still trying to get better. Um, but I think the turning point for me when I really started feeling like I I was finding my voice and as a photographer Mm -hmm. and finding my passion was when I started, travel photography. You know, when I first got into it, I shot weddings and family portraits and all that kind of stuff. And I hated it, man. It was, it was brutal. I couldn't sleep the night before a wedding. Don't even think about talking to me because I would have bit your head off. You know, it was like they caused me so much stress and anxiety. And, uh, yeah, in 2013, I, um, went to go help with a trip. Uh, my buddy Colby Brown was putting on, uh, for a company called the giving lens that he started. And uh, that trip was the basis for the workshops we do now with The Giving Lens, where we work with nonprofit organizations around the world. And that trip really just complete 180 in my life and career and passion as it related to photography. And I haven't looked back since. No, it's beautiful. So it sounded like you were doing all types of, like everyone else, you start out doing all, shooting everything under the sun take any dollar someone throws your way for a photo shoot and mainly exposure bucks. I got a lot of those exposure bucks back in the early days. And, um, yeah, they, they didn't really pay my rent, but, <laughs> but, uh, back then I, I accepted them and kind of rolled with the punches. Yeah, no, nice. I'm glad you did because you are where you are now and, and that's a beautiful place to be. So it sounded like the giving lens trip was, was a catalyst for you and your career. <laughs> Do you want to give us a little more insight to what The Giving Lens is and what you guys do? Yeah, so we are a photography workshop company that we are in the process of getting our 501c3 right now to be an actual nonprofit, but we've been um, modeled as a nonprofit since the day we were founded. So what we do is we'll take a group of 10, 12 photographers, sometimes as as few as six for scouting trips uh, like Uganda or 
um, other locations that we haven't been to before. And when we hit the ground, we work with a nonprofit organization, usually child-based. So usually we're bringing 20 donated cameras. We're working with 20 of the underprivileged youth in that location. We're teaching them photography as a way to expand the horizons and try to break them out of the cycle of poverty. Um, and that cycle is very complicated how that happens. But a lot of times these kids are told from a very young age, this is what you're going to do with your life. Um, you're not going to, you know, go to college. You're not going to do anything but sell trinkets to tourists at, at the temples or whatnot. So we try to, um, give them, kind of a different vision of, of what their life could be. And, and we've seen incredible results uh, from that over the years. Dude, that's beautiful. What mm -hmm. type of results have you guys seen? Well, you any stories or anything? Yeah, we've got like two kids down in um, Nicaragua that always really hold a special place in my heart. So uh, Armando and Anielka. Mm -hmm. Armando is a, both, both of these, uh, these kids were from the barrios their families made you know just a couple bucks a day if that um i've been to their homes in the barrios it's literally four aluminum walls obviously no running water um the toilet is a hole in the ground on the side of the house do you mind explaining what a barrio is barrio is is you know it's a very low income area kind of you know the slums in india uh, it's the same thing but just a different name and so it's it's basically a neighborhood of, of very low-income families. Um, and Armando and Anielka um, are in an organization called Empowerment International down there. And I first started working with them back in 2014, actually 2013. And they were both, I think, 13 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And they both really just found a love for photography when we came down and taught them and, and gave them donated cameras and kind of walked them through composition and, you know, how to tell a visual story. They just fell in love with it. They just, they, you should have seen their eyes. They just, you know, completely got it and fell in love with it. And you could see the passion just coming in. And I think from that moment on, they kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel. They knew that they were that they were, they were capable of more in their life than what they, you know, were predetermined to, to be, you know, based on their conditions. And now they are both, um, in their, uh, late teens. I think they're 19, probably about 19 years old now. Both of them are in university first in their families to be in university. Uh, Armando is the, um, he's majoring in uh, graphic design. And he's an amazing photographer. These kids in Nicaragua are some of the best photographers I've ever seen. And they're all taking these shots with point-and-shoot cameras, you know. And uh, Armando's working as a, uh, you know, majoring in graphic design. He is the graphic designer for the Nicaragua Tourism Board magazine. So the actual print magazine that goes out, he does all the graphic design work. And he's 19 years old. It's absolutely, you know, That's just right. mind-blowing. And he credits that to this day with photography, you know, photography, he was a trouble kid. He wasn't, you know, the best kid. He missed school. He got into trouble and photography, he says, changed all of that. He found his passion for photography, which he then found his passion for, um, graphic design. And it all kind of snowballed into this very, uh, visual oriented, um, passion that he has. And, and 
yeah, it's absolutely incredible to see him, you know, take those strides. And he's a filmmaker now. He makes these really cool GoPro films. And he's starting to use his, his uh, DSLR camera to start making films. And Anjelka, same. She's not in, in you know, photography or, or graphic design. But uh, she, you know, pulled herself out of the barrio. And she got into university. She speaks amazing English. And now she works as... Uh, she's majoring in hospitality in, in university, and she's um, working as a manager at a hotel. And it's just, it's amazing when you kind of really think back. You know, I've known these kids since they were 13 years old, and they were, you know, living in, in less than ideal conditions. And, you know, first in their families to go to university, and, and they've just, you know, they've they've broken out of that cycle of, of poverty that's hit their families for generations, and that's what we try to aim to help with. We we know we can't do it by ourselves. We know we can't, you know, have an effect on everyone. But if you just have one little effect on just one child, it it makes a world of difference, and you know, it it really inspires you to keep going and keep doing it. No, absolutely, man. That's really beautiful what you guys are are doing down there and providing these kids with the tools and the resources they need to unlock some of that creative potential and, and, and hopefully change their just circumstances of uh, their current life circumstance. You know, that's really, really beautiful. Uh, before I hop into more about resource travel, mm-hmm. I'd love to start with some of the more basic stuff around art in general. So uh, I was curious, you know, who inspired I me? Mean, you're a professional photographer. Yeah. Your work's really good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always curious when I sit down with guys like you, it's like, who inspires you artistically? Well, you know, Nat Geo photographers, especially the older, you know, hate to say older generation, but the original generation kind of, you know, guys like Steve McCurry or George Steinmetz, you know, these guys are, you know, the, I mean, the, the, the gods of travel photography and, and photojournalistic travel documentary photography. These guys were, you know, I mean, they're ever, and they still are, they're still pushing out absolutely incredible work. If you don't know George uh, Steinmetz, he's, um, he's the original drone photographer, right? And so he got into, I don't know what they're called, but they've, they're the little, you know, aeroplane things with the, it's a parachute basically with like a fan, like a big fan on the back. Chris Burkhardt was just on doing yep. some of that in Utah. Yep. Can't remember what they're called, but he would go, he had one. And he would literally launch himself and all over the world and just fly over deserts and the Great Wall of China and everywhere. And just with his DSLR, just pointing down at the ground, just taking shots, you know? <laughs> and you're like, man, this guy, like, this was the original drone photographer because right. he was actually in the drone. He was his own drone, you know? And so right. nowadays when he posts on Instagram, the first hashtag after every post is not a drone. Because, you know, it's, it's just, it's amazing to see how far it's come. But, you know, when you look at the work that they were doing, it was revolutionary, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, Mm -hmm. we, nobody had ever seen anything like it. And quite frankly, we still don't see anything like it. I mean, these guys just had a vision and a way to capture, you know, cultures and, and the beauty of travel and the inspiration behind travel and at the time, we didn't know it, you know? Mm-hmm. At the time, we just kind of looked over those Nat Geo magazines and, you know, appreciated it. But I don't think we ever really fully grasped what they were doing until 
at least for me, until I became older and saw the process that went into being a travel photographer. And yeah, you just look back at those guys and think about what they were doing, you know, decades ago that just still people can do. What is your definition of like a travel photographer? Well, that's a good question. Prince, I like that one. What is my definition of a travel photographer? You know, it's kind of this day and age, what's that saying? Like everyone's a photographer, right? Everyone's got an iPhone. Every iPhone's got portrait mode. So you can create that background bokeh, you know, background blur. It's, you know, everyone's a photographer now, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that. I think you don't believe that, right? I think being a photographer involves storytelling. I think you have to tell stories. And with travel photography especially, there's got to be some kind of story. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just see pictures of a pretty beach, you know, with a pretty sunset. Yeah, sure, it looks great. But I want to know the story behind it. I want to feel like I'm actually in that photo. I want to know who that street merchant selling tacos over in the corner. I want to know his story. I want to know his deal, you know. But all too often, you know, we just see the photographs of one scene, one and done, right? This is one scene on to the next. The next day, the photographer posts something from somewhere completely different. And I'm left wondering, you know, what the story was behind that photo. And to me, there really wasn't a story. You know, it was just about someone wanting to go out and get the Instagram-worthy photo, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think the true definition of a travel photographer, um, I would definitely go back to storytelling. I just think... You know, you have to be able to tell stories about the experiences you're having and the cultures you're visiting. And without that, you know, I think it's just hard to really define somebody as a travel photographer. And I'm not the best at it either. You know, I try. I try to tell, you know, really great stories with with a lot of my work. And, you know, I go back six months later through my Instagram or through my old blog posts on resource travel and I'm like, man, that sucked. Like I didn't tell the story, right? You know, I think about I could have done it way better. I could have done this. I could have done that. And yeah, I just I think it's all about storytelling. And I think this day and age, because life moves so fast in Instagram and Facebook, and everything's just you know a quick, quick you know glimpse, and then you move on to the next. You know, and that's just the way the world is nowadays. But I think we've lost the passion for storytelling. Do you think we lost the passion for storytelling or do you think that this new generation of creators just don't know how to tell a story? I think you think they're just running and gunning and they're not really as thoughtful and I don't want to say they don't know how to tell a story because I think they do. Right. Mm -hmm. I think everyone has, you know, especially with the creative minds that we see, you know, if you've got this creative mind, you know, you, you can learn how to harness that creativity into visual storytelling. But the problem is, is that I think with the newer generation of photographers, and there's nothing wrong with this, it's just a different day and age. But I think with the newer generation, it's everything is based off quick. You know, Instagram has made everything so quick. Instagram isn't a great place to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Blogs are a great place to tell stories. You know, so we've become so accustomed to the Instagram scroll, you know, to the Instagram feed, to the quick Facebook check, you know, where we're just like briefly checking Facebook, giving that quick like to the cool sunset photo and moving on. I think 
we've just, we haven't lost the, the ability to tell stories. And I don't think, I don't think a lot of artists can't tell the story. I think we've just become so used to the new world, the mm-hmm. new you know world that we live in, which isn't, is based on quick, you know, quick uh, consumption of media. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's cool. It's just different. But I, as a, you know, wannabe storyteller myself, I just, I really just, I remember reading those Nat Geos when I was a kid, you know, and you just became so enthralled with everything that they, everything that was in that magazine, the pictures, the stories, everything. It was just so engaging and enthralling and you really felt like you learned something and you, you know, moved on and and you couldn't get it out of your head. I think nowadays we see something really cool. And if I ask you an hour from now, what was that thing that you saw that was really cool? You'll be like, oh man, I don't remember, you know, because it's things just go in and out of our minds so quick nowadays. And I think the storytelling has just kind of fallen by the wayside. Mm. That's really interesting. It's almost uh, along the lines of people just not necessarily being present in mm-hmm. the moment. Uh, and if you're not really in the moment, then it's hard to tell a story if you're just running around taking photos. See, you're uh, a great example of this because you are you you are so present when like every time we've gone out and shoot and and all the, you know we've hung out a lot. Every time we go out, you're present. You are always present. You're always in the moment. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's kind of the same thing where you know, the first thing that a lot of, uh, you know, artists these days, photographers, filmmakers, first thing they're thinking of is I need to get the shot. I have to get the shot. The shot's got to go on Instagram tonight. You know, the blood moon is a perfect example or the, the lunar eclipse the other night. Right, it's a race. I mean, man, that thing was over. And within four minutes, I saw the first post up. You know, four minutes. I mean, that person had to run inside their house or they were probably on location somewhere, had their laptop at the ready, mm-hmm. imported those photos, got because they had to be the first one to get it up. Yeah. Right. They had to. They weren't being in the moment. If you were being in the moment, sure, you've got your camera, you've got it aimed at the lunar eclipse. But man, you see that lunar eclipse, you just sit back and you enjoy it. And mm-hmm. then when it's over, you sit back and you just look at the moon again and you just realize what you just witnessed. And you look at the stars and you kind of just get lost in your surroundings. And if you're rushing to get that photo imported and be the first one to get it up on Instagram, you're not living in the moment. You're not being present. Yeah. It's really, I mean, I have so many questions around this. It's really interesting, right? So you have in the world that we live in, it's kind of important to be first, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, at least the social world, right? Mm-hmm. Because you put it up on your blog four or five days later, that's fine. But on Instagram, if Joe Smith decides to be the guy who five minutes after the blood moon puts, puts up a photo, uh, he's the first photo that everyone's going to see. Mm-hmm. He's the first photo that's going to get picked up by the bigger distribution platforms that reshare images and things like that. And it's obviously a great way to get your name out there. But at the same time, I also agree. It's, it's a bummer. It's like, what's better being the first guy or being enjoying it, the present guy, enjoying it and then going home and putting in the work and, and, and then putting out a great piece of content. And it's like this weird line that I think we're going to continue to see people struggle with as far as how to balance that. And the reason I talked, I asked you about the travel photographer thing by definition, because 
you know, there's a lot of people that call themselves travel photographers or travel content creators, whatever it may be. But a lot of times the stuff falls flat. It's just beautiful photos from places and the, the, the captions, just the fire emoji, mm-hmm. you know, and it's yeah. a sunset and you're yeah. just kind of, like you said, you're left wondering like, okay, you and know, it's that's not a beautiful a, image. And it's not a good wonder, right? So there's a way of telling a story where you're leaving your, your, your viewer engaged and wanting more because mm-hmm. it was so like the way you conveyed the story mm-hmm. was so engaging and so good that the viewer is left wanting more when the viewer feels that they've been slighted with just a fire emoji. I don't even know where that was. Like, was this sunrise sunset? You know, like I just saw, I saw a shot on your computer screen, which was awesome. And it wasn't, you know, captioned or anything, but I just asked you where, you know, was that sunrise or sunset? Because that's important to me. I just wanted to know kind of the backstory of the photo. And when you don't have that and the, the photo itself isn't telling a story, you're just exactly, they're falling flat. And, you know, I, I, I think you're entirely right. It's, and, and going back to the, how to balance it. I mean, it's hard, man. Like I, I still, I struggle all the time with it and I don't know how to balance it. Cause a lot of times I'm thinking about the fact that I need to, I'm, if I'm on a job, I need to get these types of photos, but I'm also on a job doing something absolutely amazing and, and really having this amazing experience. At what point do I put the camera down? At what point do I become present in the experience? A human. <laughs> yeah. What's, at what point do I become a human and not a robot? Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, I've talked with people in the past about, you know, the run and gun mentality. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it when you're out at a mm-hmm. spot and you see a bunch of Instagrammers roll up and it's literally like they fly in, they spray and then they're out Yeah, and they didn't even, you know, I don't even know if they took a breath yeah. to smell the fresh air or touch the water with yeah. their hand. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which I don't think there's anything wrong but I guess more or less, like, I just don't see what the mad rush is on everything. If you're chasing the photo and not chasing the experience, you're doing it wrong. That's it. Plain and simple. If you're doing it just for that Instagram photo and not for the experience, you're doing it wrong. All right. You're doing it, but you're doing like you're leaving a lot on the table. Correct. You, it could be a much more fulfilling experience if you tap into that. Correct. Yeah, you're doing it correctly in the fact that you're going to get a great photo that's going to get 10,000 likes on Instagram, but how are you going to convey that moment to your grandkids, right? Right? How are you going to remember that moment? How did that moment have a true effect on your passion and your inspiration and your life? Mm-hmm. You know, not every moment is going to have an effect on your life, but if you're living to just chase the photo and not chase the experiences, you know it's it's you're just missing out on a lot what do you, so as far as instagram goes you said you know instagram may not be the best platform for telling stories i can't say i agree i can't say i disagree i guess i'm in the middle i think i'm i'm curious so let me ask you a question for the guys that post on instagram and just post a really beautiful image and then the caption is literally just like an emoji versus you know, and that's all they post. And then all of a sudden they start writing captions and no, do you think people get trained to not read their captions? And because I see, like, I see some people post long stories all the time. Mm-hmm. No one even reads the caption. Exactly. Like they're just like, yeah, fire, amazing shot. Wow. Mm-hmm. But no one's actually commenting on the story. And then there's other people where I'm like, wow, like 
he always writes a story, whether it's a story or something he's learned or, but there's always something like there's a, a written caption more than just, you know, one or two words and they get tons of feedback and the comments are really engaging and there's lots of conversation taking place, you know, taking place on the feed. Yeah. So I think, I don't know if that was a question. Well, you, you, yeah, you made a point that that is so true. So what I think is happening, Instagram isn't a great, in my opinion, Instagram isn't a great place to tell stories, not because of the photographer, not because of the artist, because of the viewer. Viewers on Instagram aren't there to read long posts. They just aren't. As much as I wish they were, they just aren't. People signed up for Instagram for a reason because it's the anti-Facebook. They just see the big visual, pretty, double tap for that like, move on, right? So it's not necessarily the the photographer's problem. It's the viewer's problem Mm -hmm. that, or the viewer's responsibility. That's why they're not, that's why Instagram isn't a great storytelling platform. Because I do think that if you write this really long inspirational post with a great story about, you know, the adventure that you were having or whatever, I think probably what, two out of 10 people will actually read it. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Let me ask you this though. So Mm -hmm. you had mentioned earlier, you know, like a blog post Mm -hmm. is a better place to tell stories, which I totally agree Mm -hmm. um, without a doubt. But at the same time, people aren't going to blogs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I read blogs. I've read some stories that are amazing and then I Mm -hmm. scroll down and I'm like, holy cow, like not a single comment, Mm -hmm. not one. So like, like as a storyteller, it's it's hard to want to put a bunch of work into a blog. It's like, okay, cool. You see you're getting traffic. That's exciting, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other side, you're like, you know, I mean, it also it often falls flat when you're not getting any feedback. No one's engaging with the story. So how do we I guess like what are what are options for people that want to connect with people and and and, and tell stories and actually get feedback and and, and start a dialogue? Well, I think it's, you know, it's kind of like I I hear people talking all the time about mailing lists, right? And they go, oh, I just got, you know, 30,000, you know, I just got my 30,000 subscriber on my mailing list. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, man. Mm -hmm. Like, what's your open rate? You know, and they're like, oh, like, like 6%. I'm like, oh, 6%, you know, cool. So that's not very good, right? So Mm -hmm. what's happening is, yeah, you've got this huge number of people who are signed up for your mailing list, but nobody, but that's the wrong people, right? That's not your audience. If it was your audience, you wouldn't have a 6% open rate, Mm -hmm. right? If you have a million followers on Instagram organically and you're only getting 3000 likes per post, that's not your audience. Those million people aren't your audience, right? And Mm -hmm. so the way I think about it is while storytelling has changed and it is much harder to get people to go visit a blog, the people that you do get to that blog are the ones that matter, right? right. Because they're the ones taking the time. They're the ones going the extra mile to go to that blog, mm-hmm. right? So while it's harder to get that engagement, while it's harder to get that, you know, high number of, of views or whatnot, mm-hmm. the views you are getting are much more valuable. And so I guess, you know, what I'm trying to say is I, you know, I just keep telling the stories the way I, I like to tell them. I like to write long form stories, often spending two, three weeks in a location and, you know, maybe making some 
kind of travel guides for it or telling the story of the NGOs that I'm working with. You know what? If it gets, if that post only gets a thousand views, you know what? Those thousand people that viewed it were the ones that really mattered. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I see it. So, you know, it's kind of, it is, it's a different day and age. It's hard. It's hard to really find that kind of perfect balance between all these social media platforms and, and blogs and vlogs and, you know, all these different ways to kind of get your message out there. But I think, yeah, I just think that if, you know, those, the people that really are engaging with you, those are the ones that matter. So, so how do you connect with those people? Like the people, so you have X amount of followers, Mm -hmm. right? But the reality is out of, let's just say 10,000 followers, there's actually 500 that are Mm -hmm. super engaged. The rest are just, yeah, you know, they like your stuff, but it's the same 500 people who consistently like send you DMS Mm -hmm. messages, et cetera. How do you, how do you build a deeper connection with them? So I'm terrible at this. I'm, I, cause that's the important thing, right? It's, it's, it's finding your true fans. Mm -hmm. So how do you find your true fans? Because even people that are taking this more seriously, like on, uh, combining the intersections of art and commerce together as one, they need to find out who these people are to actually make money. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to please the whole mm-hmm. audience when in reality there's only 5, 10% of that audience, your true fans, that will actually buy your preset, buy your print, buy your shirt, yeah. go to a workshop, etc. So how do you how do you get in front of those people? By engaging with them constantly. I mean, those are the people that <clears throat> you know, they're they're there for a reason. They're the ones engaging on your posts and if you kind of um let that go and don't appreciate that and don't show your appreciation and don't connect with them on a human level. They're not going to be around forever. You know, know, I, I, it's, it's hard because yeah, you have all these people that comment on your posts and yeah, it's the same people over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I've always wanted to go through my Instagram followers and be like, who are the, you know, 10,000 followers that never engage on my posts. Like I just want to get rid of them because they're, pointless, right? Mm-hmm. They're worthless to me. They're nothing but a, but a number. And you realize that's a vanity number to where some people, yeah. they want the number, but as a professional, like I would, you know, myself included, I would much rather, instead of having one point, you know, 5 million followers, mm-hmm. I would love it if we had, you know, whatever, 400,000, 500,000 500, exactly. that are diehards, yeah. right? That just love what we mm-hmm. do, love the content, love the podcast, the app, all about AOV. Yeah. Um, it would allow us to, you know, better connect with our people. Exactly. And this day and age, at least in my industry, in the travel industry, they're, they're finally getting wiser after Mm -hmm. years and years of kind of throwing all this work and and opportunity at these huge Instagrammers, you know, who a lot of them have, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not a million followers, whatever the case may be. Their travel companies, tourism boards, et cetera, the brands I work with, Mm -hmm. a lot of them are getting wiser to the fact that they're saying, what is your engagement rate? They don't care how many followers you have. They want to know what your engagement rate is on those followers. That's the most important statistic that you can have is engagement rate, period. End of story. It doesn't matter if you have a million followers or a thousand. What is your engagement rate? If you have a high engagement rate with those thousand followers, that's what a brand wants out of you. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, back to reaching the, the, the people that matter, those are the people that matter, you know, like you want those followers that are constantly engaged, that constantly value your opinion. 
Right. And yeah, we, we've got to start getting rid of the vanity. You know, right. we've got to hopefully try to get rid of the vanity, which is going to be impossible, but it's like a cold culture. Like it's like, this is just kind of what the culture is now, which yeah. is a big reason why I don't often share to Instagram is because mm-hmm. in my personal opinion, I'm like, wait, why? Yeah. Like for what? No one, granted, I do feel blessed that when I do post, I often will write a caption and for whatever reason, people that follow me, I get tons of responses. Yeah. You have, a, you have good followers, you know, like for your personal account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have really, you have a good base because people follow you not because you're a prince from Artivisuals, right? They followed you because they were inspired by something you did, mm-hmm. right? So um, when people are find you via inspiration, they're much more likely to sink their claws in and, and just really hang on your every word and, and be very engaging. If people just find you dumb luck or they like that one photo you posted, yeah, they'll give you a follow, but... They're never right. going to give it a second thought. But if you inspire someone, they're there for life. Mm. What do you think about – so I want to get into resource travel here next, but I just have a quick question. I'm just curious. This has been a good discussion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the term influ- – let me ask you this. What does the definition of influencer mean to you? What does an influencer mean to Michael Bonacore? Well, I hate that term. So do I. I hate that term. We <laughs> got to get rid of the makes influencer. Me cringe, it right? makes me cringe. If anybody ever watching called- Firefest, oh, have you seen man, that dog? Yeah. When they kept saying the influencers, the influencers. Oh, we, I was just like, oh, that that term. I'm Seriously. so tired of hearing. <clears throat> we got to get rid of it. Let's make a right here AOV community. I don't know how we did let's that, let's though. band well, together and stop saying influencer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's I, it's a term that I just, I don't know. Your yeah, definition. It makes me cringe. Um, see, hmm. man, I, I think in this day and age, I don't think an influencer is somebody who influences. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, an influencer nowadays is literally just somebody with a lot of followers. That's it. Right. Back to engagement, back to how engaged those followers are, how much those followers respect your opinion and, and hang on your every word. Opinion, I think, is the important word you just dropped. In my opinion, I believe an influencer is someone that's a thought leader mm-hmm. in some space, category, a subject, etc. So I'm always so confused when I see these people being called influencers or calling themselves influencers, but I'm always curious. I'm like, what do you... Like, what are you... Show me somebody you've influenced. Yeah, what are you better than average in? Are you helping people live a better life? Are you an expert in editing and you talk about it a lot? Mm -hmm. Are you an expert in traveling and hacking that and and you talk about that and you speak about that? That's my, I guess, disconnect with the term influencer. And it cracks me up because a lot of these influencers, people have never even seen their faces. Yeah. Like, they just post photos. They have tons of followers. And even they, they they may have high engagement. But... You've never, they've never s- spoke about anything. Yeah. And so it's a really weird term. Well, I want to see what, I want to see the examples of how they influenced someone, you know, mm-hmm. like it, they just don't exist. You know, yes, you have a lot of followers. They should be called. And maybe they inspire, they inspire people maybe to want to take better yeah. photos or to want to go yeah. out and take photos and maybe to want to go travel. But I think that's different, you know than being influential. Yeah. Gary Vee. Now he's an influencer, Absolutely. right? He influences people to 
be better. He influences people to grab life, you know, and just run with it, man. Like, and go ahead and tell him he's an influencer. Gary, Gary V, Peter McKinnon, mm-hmm. uh, Casey Neisat, all these guys that are literally at the top of their field killing mm-hmm. it. I believe they're killing it because they are actually influential and they actually speak about things and they actually communicate and they have a lot. They have, I feel like to be almost like an artist in general, like I believe an artist has something to communicate. And out of those three and countless more that you can name right now, how many of them would call themselves an influencer? Probably none. Zero. Definitely zero. Not a probably for sure. None. Gary Vee would punch you in the face if you called him an influencer. (laughs) Like he probably hates that word more than we do. Right. (laughs) Right. And that's how, you know, What's that, what's that term? Like if you have to tell someone you're popular, you're really not, you know, there's like, (laughs) if you have to tell someone how handsome you are, you're definitely not right. It's like, there's like, you know, if you have to tell people that you're an influencer, then, then you're just, you're doing it wrong. You're not, you're not grasping the concept of influencing in a positive way. You know, that's. Because the real influencers that influence the world for the better and that really legitimately help people will never say that. Right. And then people pick influencers, really. Like you don't, yeah. you don't get to coin yourself as an, as an influencer. Uh, yeah, for sure. And it, that's definitely not going out to all influencers because a lot of them I know have been labeled as influencers and they hate the word too, right. you know? <laughs> but if I go to your profile... Well, it's just such a, a widespread Instagram-y, spammy kind of word. You don't really know yeah. what it means. Yeah. What's the context? What is an influencer? What does it mean? And, and I think everyone has a different opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, I but mean, as of lately, it's basically anyone with a ton of followers. I think it's just, at this point, it's, yeah, it's anyone with a ton of followers. Okay. Resource travel. Yes, sir. It's awesome. Thanks, man. What's the backstory? Oh, man. The backstory. So Maybe let's start with t- t- tell what it is. Yeah, sure. And then, and then go on. So Resource story. Travel is a division of Resource Magazine. And Resource Magazine has been in print for eight, nine years, something like that. And it's a photography, video, lifestyle type magazine. Um, kind of like a you know, mini Wired or something. Uh, hard to explain, but um, really just cool it's a cool magazine it looks cool it feels cool and we the stories are absolutely amazing and we take great pride in the quality that we produce anyway years ago um i was at a bar in vegas typical funny story yeah (laughs) me in a bar i know it's shocking (laughs) so i was there i think it was wppi um which is a portrait and photo expo in in uh, february and um, I was introduced to a woman named Alex and uh, by my buddy Jaron, and he was working as the editor-in-chief of Resource Magazine Online, and I wound up getting absolutely hammered with Alex that night. <laughs> we had a good time. And uh, yeah, I think the next night at three in the morning, we were out drinking again, and she said, hey, do you want to come on and be the travel editor for the magazine? You'll produce a travel piece every quarter. Uh, you know, 12, 14 pages. I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. And then I got home and I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know, I was writing these travel stories for the resource magazine website. And I was like, man, there's just a different audience out there than, you know, what I'm, what I'm capturing here with, with resource magazine right now I'm writing to the photo, you know, you know, the photo nerds and, and people like that, which is great, but those stories aren't getting out to the general public who just appreciate 
good travel stories, good travel advice, et cetera. So yeah, I convinced Alex to let me start kind of a subdivision of the magazine called Resource Travel and set up a different website, different Instagram, different Facebook, everything. Um, and yeah, just ran with it and it's been almost four years now. Yeah, it's been a long time. And I'm still pretty much a one-man show. Like right. I have I have writers, but it's more on, you know, contract and um yeah, I just that's a that's a problem too because I'm very um I like to micromanage and I'm very, you know, hands-on and so I, I have problems delegating, which is terrible. I know me and you need to have a talk with me. You you, ne- you need to have a talk with me about that cuz I know you're you're good at that stuff. Um but yeah, so I'm pretty much still a one-man show. I go out and I do two, three, four weeks in a location, um, with a tourism board or with a brand like Sony or, you know, others. And yeah, I'll just go out and do a bunch of cool stuff and write cool stories about it. And I'd probably have to say it's a dream job. Dude, I love that. And so what was that transition like going from just being a professional photographer to, I mean, you're an entrepreneur now, like you run Mm -hmm. resource travel and that's a whole different set of skills you got to get brand partnerships. You got to sell advertising. You got to mm-hmm. book trips. You got to sell sponsored posts and, and and things like that. And so, how's that journey been? It's challenging. Um, it's actually stuff I'm good at. So I'm good at sales. I'm good at you know networking. I'm a networker. That's everything I've ever gotten in my life. Every success I've had. Every everything. And not that I'm successful, but like everything that's brought me to this point is because of networking. I know everyone. I know how to talk to people. I love talking to people. I love hanging out with people. I love, I'm a social butterfly, right? Um, and luckily I have that trait in, mm-hmm. in, in myself that, you know, that help that I'd probably fail a very miserably if I was an introvert. Luckily I'm not. Um, and then I'm good at like the sales and the marketing, but I'm terrible at organization. And, and what's, what's happened is, you know, I post all these cool photos to my Instagram and everything. That's, you know, those moments are 5% of my life. Right. And you know, this as as a big business owner, that's 5% of my life. 95% of my life is sitting in front of that computer, right. With the sore back, you know, <laughs> like having to stretch and, I'm doing it right now. You know, 95% of my life is sending emails, talking on the phone, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And that has been hard to grasp because I like to be outside. I like to be adventuring. I hate sitting in one place. I hate not getting fresh air constantly. So yeah, it's tough, but you know, the reward from all that hard work pays, you know, the reward is, is so awesome because I'm able to live this amazing life that, you know, I've always said, you know, I never got into, (laughs) you don't get into the magazine business if you're looking for money, right? You don't get into kind of what, what we do, especially in the travel department, travel magazines and all that. You don't get into that if, if, if you're looking for the quick payday, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but when I'm not, what I'm not rich with in money, I'm rich with in life experiences, mm-hmm. and that's what matters to me, right? And so, and you're building equity, and yeah, and you you're know, and you're investing game. in yeah, yeah. And you're investing in yourself, and you know, and and so I think that that's what that inspiration for that next trip, mm-hmm. that's what keeps me sitting in front of that computer for 14 hours a day, you know, when I know that 
all this hard work is getting me to, you know, Patagonia for a month, right. you know, then I know that it's worth it. And, and I just keep plugging away. It's really cool too. The fact that you're a storyteller makes you a lot more valuable, uh, to a brand because you can, can build context around the content you're creating rather than just saying, Hey, here's 20 beautiful photos from mm-hmm. my trip. And then the brand has to figure out how to create a dialogue yeah. around these images. They know nothing about yeah. where someone that actually can tell a story on the photo or video side is a lot more admirable for brands to work with. Especially this day and age, right? We've brands have gone through the influencer, the influencer addiction, I would say where they were throwing all this work at influencers and, they never said, Hey, we're looking for this kind of story, blah, blah, blah. They literally said, come to our location, do this, do that, post 10 photos, give us 10 photos to use and whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're quickly finding out that, well, after a couple of years, but that's quick and in, in, in uh, general terms. But now they're, I've seen the trend where tourism boards and travel brands are really, really, really looking for more concrete, long form stories now. We're reverting back to the storytelling, at least in the job aspect of it. So, so I think, yeah, I think it's, they're finally coming back to it and, and I, I'm stoked on it because that's what I'm good at. I'm not good. I'm not good at the Instagram game. Um, I'm good at telling stories and like, I just got back from. Uh, Stanley, I don't know. I posted it today. I don't know if you I saw, saw it, but yeah, that, I, I that did was beautiful. Though. Thanks. The hot, the hot spring. Yeah, shot. hot hot spring. Uh, got posted a really cool shot of a hot spring. Um, negative eight degrees. Negative eight. Ooh. Negative eight, baby. Woo! It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but I got hired to go up there and do a job for um, Stanley High Country Inn because they have this new romantic winter package. It's their first time being open in the winter, which, as you know. Stanley, Idaho, or our listeners don't know, but Stanley, Idaho is one of the coldest places in the U.S., definitely in the Pacific Northwest. So it's not an easy place to go into in in winter, but they're open. They're open right now. And they're trying to attract people to come to this romantic weekend getaway with like the most amazing food and fat bikes and snowmobiles. And and so they said, we need help getting the word out on this. So um, so we went up there and, and did it and it was absolutely incredible. But if you read the story I wrote, like there was no story going into it, right? All I know is I'm going here and I'm going to have a hotel room for three days and I have a private chef cooking me the most amazing food in the world. But where is the story, right? Mm -hmm. I could have been lazy and just kind of taken the easy way out and posted that cool hot spring photo and called it a day, right? Mm -hmm. But I want to be doing myself any justice or the company that hired me to do it right so back to what you said having the ability to tell the triple threat especially photo video and words if you have that triple threat whether it's yourself or if you have a team like i know you work with kyle who's an amazing videographer when you have that i got that sauce too yeah (laughs) you too yeah you got it um but when you have that triple threat especially when you're you're trying to do this for for work Mm. i mean that's invaluable. It's kind of like it's kind of like being um, you know bilingual. It's kind of like if you speak Spanish and English, your potential for work in certain fields is five times as high. Right. right. Same in in this industry, especially travel. If you can go to a hotel brand or a adventure clothing brand 
and you can say, hey, I can tell this story with amazing photos, a great video, and a really beautiful written story that people would love to read and be engaged with. I mean, that's that's your foot in the door. And if you know how to sell that, if you know how to sell that and how to reach out to the right people, I mean, that's that's it. So work on that triple threat. No, I couldn't agree more. I do think it's wise to specialize in something at first, mm-hmm. but I also don't think you know it doesn't take ten years. Correct. Uh, more or less, when I say specialize, I mean just being better than average. So I don't think you should pick up a camera and try to shoot photo and video and no. and, and try to figure it all at the same time. <clears throat> uh, but I think it makes sense. Yeah, shoot photo for a few years, get good, and then mm-hmm. okay, pick up the camera again and start shooting a video, and then. Just realize things take time to master yeah. craft, just like anything else. Well, I, even even to this day, like I think, I think like the way I the way I approach it and the way I still approach it is, I, like I do think that you should always aim to write, right? right? So f- for now, throw a video, right? Let's just talk about photographers. What about people that aren't good writers? I'm not a great writer, which so, is why I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, Prince. Yeah. Come to think about it, I've never read anything you've written yet. <laughs> There's a reason. Except my captions. Yeah. You're a great talker, but yeah. Um, no, but that's that's a great point. What if you're not a good writer? That's totally fine. You know what? Maybe nobody ever sees what you've written. Maybe you just need to write it for yourself. Right. Well, right? I think more or less what I'm saying is I think you can tell a story whether you're speaking and telling the story mm-hmm. or you're writing and telling the story, but I do believe the story should be told. Yeah, for sure. And you know, what I, what I mean by that is, you know, I, even if I wasn't going to write a blog post about a certain adventure or a certain trip or whatever, I still want to keep a journal. I still want to write down what I'm doing and I still want to come home and make that into a, I still want to write the story. Even if I, even nobody's going to see it because that brings me back. That grounds me. Writing out my experience as opposed to talking about it mm-hmm. or just living back through the experience via photos, I find writing the experience is very, I can't explain it, inspirational, soothing, um, closure. It's everything. It's, it's just kind of, I don't know, there's something very therapeutic about writing Right. about your experiences. So, and that's not for everyone, but I think if, I think if you, you know, even if you have no, you know, uh, plan to publish your writing, right. I think it's valuable for every creative to come home and write about their experiences mm-hmm. just because it, it helps you formulate the storytelling. Yeah, um, and that f- storytelling can translate back into your photography. I'm more of a speak into my iPad and let it do yeah. the writing for me. But I, I do. I have yeah. been, you know, spending more time writing. I do think it's important. And I know it's a weakness of mine. So it's something I've been personally just wanting to work on yeah. and working on when I have time. But I also agree uh, at the same time that, you know, I almost rather focus on my strengths that are mm-hmm. really solid and, and you know, finding a writer yeah. who's a great writer to, to take care of that aspect and, and doing what I'm best at. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that is ideal for everyone. And so if you're not a great writer and you want to do a bunch of travel mm-hmm. stuff and then guess what? You should probably team up with a, an amazing yeah. content writer mm-hmm. and travel together. And now you have the best of both yeah. worlds. You can focus on doing your thing. They can focus on their thing. And then you guys come together and you guys create beautiful work, beautiful yeah. stories. And 
Yeah, you're exactly right. Because I still think what the second part of what I was going to say is I still think (laughs) it takes a very, very skilled artist to do. And I'm talking about travel jobs right now, but I would never go into a travel job doing photo and video. Never, never, ever, 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 ever. It's a very skilled artist. You've got to be, I mean, you're like the Vincent Van Gogh of photo and video. If you can go into a travel job or just even if you're going on an adventure with your buddies, it's tough. Go ahead and try to tell that entire story via photos and video. It's hard. It is so hard. I, I learned this in Namibia. I did five weeks in Namibia years ago, road trip through the whole country into Botswana, into Zimbabwe. It was so cool. I almost got killed by elephants. Um, I mean, I'm flying over the, the Sussex flight dunes, you know, mm. coolest experience ever on the skeleton coast. And oh man, it was so cool. And I screwed up. I tried to take video and take photo and kind of, and I tried to tell a story both ways. And I was missing so much, so much stuff that, you know, a lot of it was unusable. You know, I came back and I'm like, Oh man, that I remember that sunset, but I don't have a photo from that sunset. Why? Because I was trying to concentrate on taking video of, you know, it was, it was a big mistake and I learned the hard way, you know, luckily that trip taught me before that wasn't a paid trip. So now pay trip, I'm like, when they're like, well, we can't afford to have you and a videographer come out, you know, cause I'll quote them on like a, the whole price with a videographer and they'll be like, well, we can't afford the videographer. Can't you just do the video? I'm like, no, not if you want a good story. If you want a crap story, crap writing, crap photos, crap video, sure, I'll come out and do it all. But if you want good stuff, there's no way. Right. There's just no way in, in, in hell that's happening. And and so, yeah, so I do think, you know, no, I, I think with the third part of the piece of the puzzle, having that video, at least for me, I know how to tell, I know how to work with brands and tell that, that story with video included, mm-hmm. but I'm not usually doing that video. I'm right. hiring someone else, right? Right. And that's, you know, we have that luxury of of having a business that we can bring in that videographer. But right. um, I just caution against people biting off more than they can chew. Because yeah. a lot of people, I did it for five weeks in Namibia. I was stuck <laughs> screwing everything up because I was trying to do both. And Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. The only people I've seen do it well are obviously people that can handle multitasking. You have to be mm-hmm. very present mm-hmm. and very in the moment. To, to be on top of both. And normally it's the guys that actually started in video first yeah. that are able to manage both. Cause video mm-hmm. itself, the thing is when video is not your primary thing, it will suck you in. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't, if you're not able to use your camera as quickly for video as you are for photo and, and, and confidently and un, like if video is your second thing and your second guessing things and, and, and it's, it's, it's going to be terrible. Yeah. But if you started in video, you understand it really well. You've also been shooting photos for years, uh, then I've seen those guys be able to manage a lot easier and have yeah. a lot more success with those types of shoots. Yeah. And that's why it's hard for me. Cause I started in photo mm-hmm. and I got into video. <laughs> right. I got into video because photography wasn't boring me per se, but I just felt like, I don't know, I needed something else to drive me crazy, you know? Cause yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny dude. Video, it's crazy. Cause I, well, I started in video. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm that guy. I'm like, yeah. Like, it, and, and even for me, it, it definitely can be a struggle sometimes depending on what we're doing. But for the most part, uh, you know, this even one camera this last trip, mm-hmm. eight days, and I'm blasting videos and photos the entire time. And yes, you know, you 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 do 
give and take. You know, there's things I miss because I'm shooting video, so I miss a good photo. There's things I miss video-wise because I'm shooting a good photo mm-hmm. and I'm missing a good video opportunity. Um, but more or less, you know, I think it's about the story, yep. being able to tie things back together um, and all that. So, uh, anywho, I lost my train of thought on where the hell I was going with that one. <laughs> By the way, if, if you've ever wanted to see Prince's videos, they're really good. Um, I've been a fan of his videos for a long time, but he did a thing years ago called Boise Cribs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if 2010, you really, if you really want to see Prince in his early days and his early glory, go check out Boise Cribs on YouTube. Dude, that was a great time. It was literally bit. MTV Cribs, yeah, but like, based here. MTV Cribs and just took it and it was like, yeah, we're going to do that here in Boise. <laughs> Dude, those are good. That was when, a- when this podcast comes out, you're gonna have like you're gonna see those YouTube videos just skyrocket in views because everyone's gonna go check these out, man. They, they were some, dude. They were funny, and that was all shot on Canon T2i, yeah, uh, with a kit 50 millimeter 1.8 lens. I think I built if there's any slider shots, I built like a handmade slider from yeah. Home Depot with PVC pipe <laughs> for like 30 bucks, yeah. Uh, and I might have had a glide cam that might have been like yeah. my third or fourth day using the glide cam. <laughs> It shows. It shows. Um, <laughs> no, dude, they were are, awesome. Everyone, that, go check them out. Those were good times, dude. Awesome. How are we on time? We're at about an hour. I feel, dude, I feel like I could talk to you forever. It's one of the things I want to talk to you about. When I brought you out to New York City, we did a big panel talk mm-hmm. with Adorama for the gallery event that we had out there in Sony. And it was awesome, awesome event. We had a really good time. You were very cool, calm, collected. But I've also seen you super stressed out mm-hmm. and high strung. The work stuff, you get crazy slammed on trips. You mm-hmm. hide. You live four blocks from me and I won't see you for months. <laughs> That's uh, true. Well, you don't live four blocks anymore because you moved to the burbs. Okay, and now we've had to, we're, right, right, right now we're noise canceling out the, the screaming children in the yard next door because Prince had to move to the burbs. Dude, Prince loved the kids. <laughs> um, don't take that in a weird way, you weirdos. Uh, <laughs> with that said, uh, how do you how do you manage stress and anxiety from from just oh. the amount of workload and all that stuff? So I don't know. Or is that something you still just kind of struggle? I, with I struggle with it. Through it. I struggle with uh, you know anyone who ever yeah anyone who ever tells you that they don't you know that everything's always perfect is is lying. You know it's not. Now, not everything is not something you can overcome or something you can roll with the punches and you can, and you can glide with. But yeah, the, I still struggle with being overwork or overwhelmed. You know, I am terrible at keeping to-do lists. I'm terrible at organization and my lack of organization, my lack of to-do lists, my lack of being able to focus on one specific task at a time for X amount of hours that creates all these other issues that are totally my creation, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm creating this headache. I'm creating this stress myself. And to this day, I still don't know how to get out of it. And I don't know how to deal with it. I I do it and it's just my life. And, you know, it's just something I've, <laughs> I'm always, every year I'm like, yeah, okay, this year I'm going to learn organization. I'm going to, now this year I'm like I'm gonna watch tidying up with with Marie Kondo or whatever. Like I'm like I've got to get all this in order, man. And like yeah, but you know it's I don't know I don't know how to how I deal with it. I I like to you know yeah zone out and and just kind of try to take a deep breath when I'm feeling overwhelmed and 
Um, try to force myself to, you know, when I'm feeling overwhelmed with certain projects, I'll go back. This does help a lot. So say I'm feeling overwhelmed with a certain project. Mm -hmm. I will go back to a project that I am not getting paid for or something that I was passionate about. Usually like the giving lens trips, I will go back into my Lightroom catalog and go through those photos and just start editing. So if you ever see like on my Instagram and uh, a photo from an old giving lens trip, mm -hmm. that means I was stressed out. And I went back into my Lightroom <laughs> catalog and I went through all this really passionate, you know, meaningful stuff to me. And that's my release on, you know, that's how I release some of that stress and some of that pressure is I remember why I got into this in the first place. All right. How does your time being divvied up? I'm curious. Do you spend more time percentage wise? Is it mostly in editing photos? Is it mostly writing? Is it mostly selling? So, yeah, it's not editing photos. I wish that'd be <laughs> nice. And it's not really writing. I, it some some of it, you know. I still do a lot of writing, but the majority of time, yeah, I spent organizing jobs, working with clients, producing, emailing, getting stories from other creatives that were publishing would it, you know, really boring backend stuff. And right. yeah, I wish 90% of my time now was in Lightroom editing photos because that would make me happy. But the reality is that's, that's probably where I spend the least amount of time these days is editing photos. And it shows because I've literally got tens of thousands of images I'm proud of from all over the world. And I publish, you know, one every three days. And, you know, a lot of times I'm recycling them, you know, like uh, from an Instagram post like a year and a half ago because I just don't have anything new that I've edited that I can, you know, put out there. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, it drives me crazy, man. Because yeah. I got into this to be a photographer. I got into this to share my art. Right. And that's literally the last thing I have time to do is it, work it, on my art. It's, it's a very common challenge for budding entrepreneurs they, you know, myself included, you often start a business to, to do something you love to do, to create your own living, to take control of your own life, to create, you know, your own reality. Um, and more importantly than anything is usually to, to have your own personal freedom. Uh, and what happens is we also, we oftentimes end up just creating a, a job for ourselves that's better than working for someone else but it's mm -hmm. still just a job and you're still just grinding every day and yeah. you often are doing spending 80 percent of your time doing things you don't enjoy and so that's why it's so you had mentioned something about delegating earlier it's super important to learn the art of delegating and empowering other people on your team and uh, it's important to invest in bringing other people on yeah. your team so it can free up time for you, which is our, you know, the world's biggest asset is our time and, and allowing you to do more things you love and, and that type of energy when you're doing the things that you love, when you do hop on a sales call and you do have to produce a shoot or whatever it is, it's a lot more enjoyable and you're almost excited to probably bounce off, bounce away from editing photos or videos and telling stories to, to work on that stuff. And there's a whole new renewed energy, but, uh, more or less it lets you focus on what you're best at, what you enjoy most and letting other people. I think that's probably one of the most, the biggest causes of stress and anxiety and all this stuff in everyone's work is the fact that we spend so much time doing work we don't enjoy. Don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place where there's 
just starting out in your business, you don't have the luxury of hiring people and, and help. And you shouldn't. You need to figure out your business. You need to understand every aspect. You need to be able to do every job in your business, in my opinion. You should know the ins and outs of everything. But once you get to a certain size, rather than you getting greedy and wanting to make a ton of money and, and all this stuff, makes a lot more. Because that's what most people do. Most mm-hmm. you know small business owners, they just they just keep up in their pay and like, oh, we're making money now instead of building a team yeah. around them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's a really important step to invest in people to actually build a business so that the business is making money and you're able to take a step away and, and do what you really enjoy yeah. and work on the parts of the business that you enjoy most and, and be the leader, you know? And you said the most important thing that's been said in this podcast, I rambled about who who knows what, very unimportant stuff. You said the most important thing of the podcast and that was time is your greatest asset, right? That's mm-hmm. it. Period. Time is your most valuable asset that you have. It's more valuable than how much money you have in the bank. It's more valuable than how many employees you have. It's more valuable than all of that. Like you need you need to find a way to have time to do everything that's important in your life. Mm. Your work, your travels, your wife, your kids, whatever. Like you need to have that time. Time is a it's a limited we can't add more time. Time's important, but even more important than time might be how you spend your time. Well that's it you exactly. Know, right? It's all related, right? Like so how to spend your time, how to get that time. Mm-hmm. You know, like but you you hit on how to get that time, right? Even input output. So yeah. for example, energy wise, right? There's mm-hmm. certain things you can input a ton of time and output little feedback. Mm-hmm. There's other things you could input a lot of time, output lots of feedback, and then other things you can input a little bit of time, no feedback, etc. So Instagram, for example, right, there's people that are rushing to post every single mm-hmm. day. Some people are posting two, three times a day, yep. editing tons of photos. And at some point you have to take a step back and ask yourself, it's like, what is this really doing? I'm spending five hours of my day every day just posting photos on Instagram and hanging out on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Is that you know, and what's the output? Like, what am I really, yeah, I'm getting an ego stroke. I'm getting lots of followers and things like that. But it's like, what's the real value of that? And I don't think a lot of people spend enough time thinking about, you know, what are the, what's the real value of my, of my actions? A lot of people do busy work, right? So they, they, they feel productive because they're working hard, really Mm -hmm. hard, stressed out, crazy hard, but doesn't necessarily mean they're working on the things that matter, you know, and if someone's trying to be a professional photographer and, and, and a paid professional photographer is, you know, is, is spending five hours a day on Instagram moving you closer to that goal or there are, is, is there other higher yield returns under time that you could get elsewhere? Work smarter, not harder. Right. So, yeah, you've got to work smarter, not harder. I'm terrible at that. I work my tail off and I work insanely stupid, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, no, I was the same way for a lot of years. And I know a lot of, you know, even friends closer to me or even, you know, just crazy workaholics just love, you know, to work, 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 work. And I myself have found in the past that, yeah, I was working a lot, but I was working on things that didn't necessarily yield. Exactly. Results. Exactly. You've got to work smarter, not harder because, if you're spending, and you also got to think about burnout too. If you're spending mm-hmm. five hours a day on Instagram, five hours a day on Instagram, like, man, that's, that's what? That's more than one fifth of the day. 
Yeah. Right? That's way too long. Like, and if you're not burned out on that over after three months or six months and, you know, if, if Instagram doesn't start to leave a sour taste in your mouth because you're seeing the same photos from the same people and, um, and, and you're trying to copy that or, um, you're just all about trying to get likes and followers, like you're going to get burned out on that life. You're going to mm-hmm. really get burned out on that. I've seen that and happen to a lot of people. Y- sadly. Yeah. Really I see people. I've seen it happen to people that had insane Instagram followers, high engagement. They're incredible photographers, incredible storytellers, and they disappear mm-hmm. for a year, two years. <laughs> yeah. And I'll write them a message because I'm Facebook friends with them or I'll have their phone number and I'll be like, hey, man, what's up? Like, how you doing? I'm... I haven't Check seen you post to your 250,000 Instagram followers in a year. Like I, I would kill for that. You know, like, yeah. can I have some of them? Like well, the funny them? thing is a lot of those guys uh, are actually still active. Like yeah. I know a few guys that are still active working in the field, Yeah, but they just realized that Instagram just didn't actually do a whole yeah. lot for them. And they post every blue moon now, Yeah, uh, but they're very much so working mm-hmm. It's just they're working smarter, yeah, (laughs) because they realize that they're, and that's not to say Instagram can't translate into no for some great business. You just need to understand your business. You need to understand. There's some people that I, dude, you should live on Instagram. There's certain people I'm like, you should be on Instagram 10, 11 hours a day, eight hours a day, because that's your whole, your your entire world is built around that. That is your, that's your job basically. For eight hours a day, you go live on the Instagram platform, you do your thing, and then pop out into the rest of the, you know, the real world. Yeah. You said it perfectly. You have to understand your business. You have to understand the clients you're going after. You have to understand your business. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you don't know how to get that business, right? Right. If you don't understand who you're trying to cater to and what you're trying to do, how are you going to get it? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, you're entirely right about that. And, and I still, (laughs) I still remember, does anybody have a video of that, that art of visuals panel in New York? Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube. Is it? Yeah. All right, everyone at home, go watch that video because yeah, dude, don't watch panel talks are boring. Okay, well, there's unless one, you're there in person. Yeah, true. But there was one part of the panel talk uh-huh. where Prince got up and he literally stands in front of the stage, and he went on a ten minute tirade. I don't even know what it was about, <laughs> but he went on a ten minute tirade and he got a standing ovation in the middle of the panel talk for it, and everyone. <laughs> It was inspiring. I don't know what it was about. I got to go back and listen to it because that's probably what I need right now. Um, I caught the Holy Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing, man. Yeah. But when you were talking before about, yeah, you just you just had about three-minute flow. And I, that's what the whole time I'm looking at you thinking about that moment in New York. And I was like, man, when he gets going, he's, yeah, you, you catch a ghost. You're just gone. And it's, <laughs> but it's all so good. Like, it's such good information. So... Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I just, <clears throat> I've experienced a lot in life and I feel grateful enough to be aware of the experiences yeah. that allow me to, to talk about them, you yeah. know, and learn and have learned from them to be able to provide, you know, valuable feedback on what's worked for me. I'm no guru. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone's different, dude. There's stuff that would never work for other people that work perfectly for me yeah. and, and vice versa. So everyone's got to just find their flow more or less. But uh, before we end the podcast, I have one last question for you. You travel so much, dude, mm-hmm. and you got wild stories. Tell me the craziest travel story you got. I want to hear something interesting. Oh, man. Well, I've got two 
two stories that always kind of stick out of my head because I get that question a lot. And one of them is crazy because I almost got killed by an elephant. <laughs> well, actually twice I've almost gotten killed by an elephant. Right. Well, um, what's up with you and elephants twice? I, you know, they don't yeah. go back a third time, please. I know, elephants. Right? Once in Tanzania, once in uh, Botswana, but the Botswana one was, was, I guess both of them were really stupid. Uh, <laughs> and we brought it upon ourselves, but, uh, yeah, Botswana. Trying to rub the elephant's bottom. Or? Yeah, <laughs> if if I did, I would not be here right now. Um, but yeah, the uh, the elephant. We were on this dirt track road in Botswana in the Chobe National Park, which is the highest concentration of elephants in the world. And um, we're photographing the elephants by the river, and everything's cool. And you know, we were way too comfortable with the fact that you know, I don't know, we were in a car, and the elephants are over there, and. And then all of a sudden, a bull elephant just jumped out from behind a tree in front of us, like just huge. And he was sitting there approaching our pickup truck, ears flapping just nonstop. And when the elephant's ears flap, that means they're pissed. They're really pissed and they want to kill you. And so his ears are flapping. He's trumpeting his horn. Um, and he starts approaching the vehicle and <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I may or may not have, uh, you know, just, you know, had my moment where I'm like, this is it. I'm going, this is how it ends. I thought you were going to say you peed your pants. I did pee my pants. Oh, I definitely <laughs> peed my pants. <laughs> I peed my pants. And then I had the moment where I came to the realization that I was about to die. And he was getting close enough where his trunk was hitting the the hood of the pickup truck. Uh, and man, the I truck was, couldn't move or no. Oh, yeah. So I forgot the most important part. <laughs> so, so you're just like, I'm like, just I'm picturing you just just staring at an elephant yeah. at the driver steering wheel and just stuck, just yeah. like in such like so much fear that you can't even move. You're just well, locked. yeah. So there was a guide who had told us, and this is this was really good advice. The guide, you know somewhere in Namibia before that had told us don't ever two things you do when an elephant's pissed at you a stare at it just make constant eye contact don't break eye contact and b do not run because the second you run the elephant's chasing how like, fast do they run oh faster than you and faster than you can drive too really <laughs> oh, oh yeah my goodness. they're fast um you know, you wouldn't know because they they're always just kind of casually you know chilling chilling but no if they wanted to run they could run um, and so, yeah, we're on a single track, like sand road. And so you can't really pop it into reverse and just go because the elephant's going to chase you and you're trying to look back, <laughs> and, back. Yeah. yeah. And, and we couldn't turn around cause it was just a single track, little sandy road with like trees on either side of us. So no, I mean, we were stuck there. I mean, we had no way out. Wow. And so we stared at the elephant and we just waited and waited and waited and he kept getting closer and more pissed off. And then all of a sudden he just stopped, turned, walked to the river. Oh, wow. We got the hell out of there real quick. <laughs> we, we, we knew that we had just escaped death and we did not, yeah, we, we did not want to play anymore. So we. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. He's just, sounds like he's just flexing on you guys. Yeah, he was pissed. He, I mean, bull elephant, man. Like the females are much more, you know. They're, they'll walk away from you and they're not paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. Bull elephants are, um, especially they go through this thing every year, I think, 
I can't remember what it's called, but um, but when they go through that, it's kind of like their heat. Right. Oh man, like they get insanely aggressive, and, and they're just, insanely smart too. Yeah. They have great memories. So who knows what yeah. he's been? You know, maybe some guy that looked like he showed up last year. <laughs> <laughs> he just hates dudes with beards. <laughs> he's like, that's that guy right yeah. there. I want to flex on him. Um, and then the second story that I was that always kind of really gets me, and and this one always kind of brings a tear to my eye too, is that. In the Wadi Rum Desert, there's a man named Shaban. Mm-hmm. And Shaban is a shisha man and a camel guy. He owns a bunch of camels and he lives in the desert. And shisha as in like hookah. Yeah, in the hookah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you go to this camp in the middle of the Wadi Rum Desert and you sit by the fire and Shaban gives you a hookah and packs it up with, you know, some mint or apple shisha. And, and um, you sit there and you smoke with him by the fire. So the first time I ever met Shabon, I was leading a, a group for the Giving Lens, and this was years ago. And, and after dinner, we sit by the fire, we enjoy some shisha. I started a time lapse, like a four-hour time lapse, a moon. And the, I mean, there's so many stars out there; it's amazing. So I start a four-hour time lapse. Everyone else goes to bed. So now it's just me and Shabon sitting by the fire. Mm-hmm. He's packing me up shisha. He's giving me tea. Shabon doesn't speak a word of English. I don't speak a word of Arabic, right? Mm -hmm. We sat by that fire for four hours and we had the best conversation I've ever had with anyone in my life. Even though we've never, even though we never spoke a word to each other, he showed me pictures of his wife and his daughter and on his, on his old Motorola flip phone. And I mean, it was, I can't even explain it. He knew a couple words. He knew Obama and, and (laughs) awesome. And like, you know, but just, it was the most engaging, and, and I wrote an article about this guy, and if you check it out on Resource Travel, you can see his picture, and you just look at him, and he looks like um, the Egyptian Santa Claus, because he's, he's Egyptian. He's just, I don't know, he's, he's just this guy that you just need to be around. And um, <laughs> so the next night, I mean, I was just blown away by this conversation. The next night, we're sitting by the fire again. Everyone goes to sleep, and it's just me and Shabon sitting by the fire. Shabon gets up. Or he hears something in the distance. He goes, oh, he gets up and he runs super fast. I'm like, where is he going? He comes back, Michael, Michael, with a flashlight. Come, come. I go follow him. His, he had sent his camels out to give birth in the desert. And they come back. <laughs> They'd come back with all their, the, the guys who took him out into the desert. They take him out for like two weeks. And they give birth and they chill out there for like two weeks. And then they come back. And um, when he came back, when the guys came back with all the female camels, they all had babies. So now I'm sitting here, Shabon is making me milk the camels. So now I'm milking female camels in the <laughs> middle of the Wadi Rum Desert at night. I have a picture of this somewhere. I got to find it. It's amazing. And Shabon's showing me how to milk and the camel. Have you ever milked a camel? Do you have I ever milked a camel? Of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you What's milk- that like? They hate it. A female camel does not like to be milked, at least by people. Like, really? Oh, man. You didn't have no. any special techniques or anything? No. Maybe they just hated it when I did it, but they <laughs> hated it, man. So <laughs> so the camel's trying to kick me. Shabon doesn't care. He's laughing at me, watching me try to milk into a water, you know, a big, like, Avion, you know, two-gallon bottle uh-huh. like the, with the top cut off. And I'm trying to mil- milk this camel. Camel's trying to bite me and kick me, and Shabon's just laughing at me. And it was... Another great night with this man. Like, who is this guy? Like, this guy is my soulmate, man. Like, 
you know, he's somebody I'm, I was supposed to be around forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, next day I leave. So I have to leave Wadi Rum Desert cause we're moving on. Mm-hmm. And, um, before you get all mm-hmm. deep on me, hold it real yeah. quick. I can see it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> see, but you shouldn't stop me. Cause then don't you want tears in the podcast? No, I don't want any tears. Mm. I'm, I'm, I couldn't help it, dude. I just have an ignorant question. Mm-hmm. Did you try the milk? I did. How was it? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Sour and it's like really thick and chunky. And I'm like, how did chunky come out of that? You know, <laughs> oh, it's disgusting, man. Oh, d- yeah. Don't drink camel's milk. Okay. That's another, uh, man, we're just full of wisdom in this <laughs> podcast. So anyway, I leave, the next day I leave and it was super sad and I thought about Siobhan the whole time and... Mm. Um, the next year I go back to the same camp, same thing, sit by the fire with him. You know, as soon as I saw him, when I came into camp, he hugs me. He hadn't seen me in a year. And, and, um, we go sit by the fire and we smoke shisha and then all my team goes to bed. I sit by the fire with him all night, smoke and talk and just laugh and, you know, just have that connection next night, same thing. And then the following morning I go to leave, I go to get on the bus and Shabon comes up to me and he's crying mm-hmm. and I'm getting on the bus and I'm like, Oh man, don't do this to me, Shabon. Like I can see the tears in your eyes, bro. Don't do this to me. Mm-hmm. And I can see the tears in his eyes and he's holding a bag. I'm like, what's, what is that? And he comes up to me and Michael hugs me and then he opens the bag and it's his shisha pipe that he has been smoking every day for the last 10 years that he had handmade in Egypt just for him. Every day for the last 10 years, he has smoked the shisha pipe and he gave it to me. Mm. He gave it to me. And that, at that moment I was gone. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't hold back, (laughs) you know, the tears started flowing. And that just, that summed up why I love travel so much and why I love experience in the world, because there's so many stories out there and there's so many good people and there's so many misunderstood people and there's so many misunderstood cultures and there's so many, there's so much, you know, out there that people just don't take advantage of and mm-hmm. people don't get to experience that kind of really, that story is always stuck in my head because, you know, he was, he's one of the people that really showed me what travel is all about and, uh, I'll never forget him. Dude, that is beautiful, man. Honestly, the only reason I even stopped you with that question is just because I'm super sensitive. And I, I didn't want to cry. I didn't know. I saw the look on your face. I'm like, dude, I don't want to be in here crying with Bonacore on the on the podcast. I don't you gotta know retain the, that. I don't that, know if the yeah. community's ready for that. You know? Y'all sure haven't seen up. Prince cry yet? I've seen it a couple times now. Um, um, but but the cool thing about him too is that so somebody years ago somebody gave him a laptop, like uh-huh. brought just some crappy old you know laptop, mm-hmm. and they gave it to him. And so he doesn't read either. Mm-hmm. So he can't read. He can't write. Right. So he obviously speaks Arabic, but he, he can't read it. He can't write it. And so somebody brought him a laptop a couple of years ago and they set him up with a Facebook account. So they created a Facebook account for him, posted a picture of him <laughs> as a profile picture. And they saved, you know, so when they opened the browser, they configured it. So when it, when he opened the browser, he knew to click on the browser and Facebook would pop up right away. And, his login information was saved and he knew to click the blue button to log in. And then he knew because he can't read. So then he knew that then he would see the feed and he knew the left button was like, 
and the write button was share, you know, comments in the middle, but he can't use that because he can't write. Right. So he knew like and share. And so ever since, to this day, I haven't seen him since. He actually unfortunately left uh, Wadi Rum and went back to Egypt to be with his family, which is great. Mm-hmm. But I unfortunately have no way of really getting in touch with him now. But uh, every, you know, every four or five months, you know, it's rare, but it happens. Every four or five months, I'll log into Facebook and I'll see Shaban just giving a like and sharing my posts. And I know you can't read the dude, captions. Hunk a brother up with a Google Translate link, dude. Like, come but on, he can't man. read. He can, he can write, right, in his own no. language? No. Oh. He can't read or write in Arabic. Gotcha. Yeah, no, he can't. So, yeah. Okay, I don't know. He's just he, a visual guy. That's awesome. Yeah. I so, wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> so, how much easier life. <laughs> yeah. But he left his last year, but this has been going on for years. And so I, it made me so happy that every time I saw his like and his share on my photos, it made me so happy that this guy that I had such an intense, amazing connection with halfway around the world in the middle of the Wadi Rum desert. It means so much to me that he's seeing my experiences. And I, even though he can't read what I've written as a description, even though he doesn't know where that location is in Norway or, you know, Patagonia or whatever, even though he doesn't know where it is and he doesn't know the story I'm trying to tell, he still is getting that story and that inspiration, that feeling, right. you know, and he's and, for you. He knows you and he yeah, loves you. And yeah. He just, and it's, and it just, every time I would see his like and share on my, on my photos, I would just, you know, get really happy and proud and choked up and all that kind of stuff. And um, I would too, especially cause he's sitting in the middle of the body room desert. I know. Well, <laughs> you know, that's the coolest part. It's not like he's on, Inst- on Facebook every day. Like, yeah, it's not like he's sitting he, in a Starbucks in Cairo. There, it's like, it's yeah. like a nudge. It's just like a, Hey, like, you know, I'm thinking about you, pal. Mm-hmm. And like, that's special, man. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, and, but that's, that's why I travel. Those are the experiences that, you know, we talked about it before that, you know, if I was going in and not going in with an open mind and, and, and forcing myself and, and knowing that I wanted to be present in mm-hmm. certain situations, you know, that's an experience that wouldn't have happened. Right. If I was just out there chasing photos all the time, I wouldn't have had that moment with Shabon. And that's something I would have regretted forever. I love it, man. I really appreciate you sharing two polar opposite stories but both both beautiful <laughs> so, wait, yeah it's a you gave me a very general topic there so yeah <laughs> so to wrap things up i normally give the guest on the show the mic to basically leave the aov audience with some type of inspiration motivation anything they want to just you know communicate anything that's important to them that they think you know other artists and creatives should hear and so with that said feel free to take your time to think if you got something and uh, whenever you're ready just lay it down well i think you know we've talked a lot today about you know how we miss the storytelling and and you know about the new instagram day and age and all that kind of stuff And sometimes it can come off as maybe it's not the right way to do things, but that's not true. So as much as, you know, as much as I miss certain storytelling aspects or as much as, you know, we don't like the word influencer, whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are out there creating and that you are loving what you're doing. doesn't matter how you get that out. doesn't matter what you do with that creation. 
as long as that creation is inspiring you and making you smile every day, that's all that matters. So keep creating, keep sharing, keep living, be in the moment. Michael Bonacore. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Prince. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the AOV Podcast. Our goal here at Art of Visuals is to keep everything free and to keep creating great tools and resources for you guys to utilize to to achieve all your guys' dreams in the photography, filmmaking, and content creation world, even entrepreneurship. With that said, we've picked up Adorama as a sponsor to help us cover some of our costs, and we're grateful for them. All we ask of you guys is, if you're going to purchase gear, we'd really love it if you guys would head over to Adorama.com and make your purchase there instead of elsewhere. And just know that when you guys do that, you guys will also somewhat be supporting Art of Visuals and allowing us to continue to create great content for you guys, uh, like our podcast, our free app, and a lot of the other great things we do. Also, if you listen to the podcast, all of the AOV presets are now free. Uh, So check out our website shop.artivisuals.com go get some free presets the artist presets are still for sale if you want to support the artist and you should support the artist uh, just know that that money goes to them and we're also going to be reworking that commission structure uh, here in the next month so we're really stoked about that but go get some free presets and if you guys want to buy gear please support us help us out go to adorama.com peace peace